Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is sports dietitian and ultra endurance athlete Kylie Van Horn of Fly Nutrition. You may remember Kylie from her appearance back in season two when we talked about training for ultra endurance events, especially with an emphasis on how the heck to fuel those ultra endurance events. And this week she is back to talk about one of her favorite topics, gut health for endurance athletes. What does it mean to have good gut health? What is an acceptable number of bathroom stops on your long run? And what are the signs that something's really not working in your favor and it might be time to seek some outside counsel to get your gut health back in order? The reason you should care about your gut health goes beyond the inconvenience factor of having to make multiple bathroom stops on your runs or in a race and goes to, are you absorbing micronutrients correctly? Are you able to tolerate and handle the fuel and fluids that you need to fuel your best races and just training runs in general? Gut health is really where it all starts because that's where we absorb the things that we need to function, not just as athletes, but also as human beings. Kylie, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm super excited to be back and we're going to be chatting about a different topic today that I'm really passionate about with uh, endurance athletes. So you were guest on the show last year, last season, talking about ultra training and specifically fueling for ultra endurance. By that, we mean longer than marathon distance races. But this week, we're talking about something a little bit different. But for those runners who have not listened to the episode you were on previously, go ahead and reintroduce yourself. Yeah, happy to. Uh, I am Kylie Van Horn. I'm the owner of Fly Nutrition. Uh, We work with a variety of endurance athletes, so not just runners, but skiers, uh, triathletes, cyclists, uh, on fueling their bodies. Um, We look at helping people with their relationship with food um, and uh, really uh, tend to work often with people on their gut health, um, which is an area that we're going to chat about today. Heck yeah. So I'm sure we have a lot of people tuning into this episode because they are experiencing gut issues and those can be, you know, range from issues that they experience only during a run or a ride or kind of like general things they're experiencing in their daily life. But before we dive into some of those issues, what do we mean when we talk about gut health? Like, what is that? So I know that we probably have a lot of runners tuning in because they are experiencing a less than optimal gut, let's say, we'll call it gut health. But before we get started, gut health is a bit buzzwordy. So let's go ahead and define it. What are we talking about when we talk about gut health? I think um, looking at it from the perspective of like the functioning of your gastrointestinal system, as well as what the makeup of the microbiome that you have going on in your intestinal system. There's kind of, I feel like there's maybe two parts when we're looking at gut health per se. Um, So whether you're having, you know, stomach pain, diarrhea, gas, bloating, you know, what does that look like um, inside of training and outside of training? And then looking a little bit deeper at what is the makeup of your system as well. And do you have a healthy balance of um, bacteria in your uh, gastrointestinal system, or maybe it's imbalanced and unhealthy. Um, And then we can also look at things like um, your intestinal lining integrity and whether um, that is optimal or not. So so looking at, um, I think these multiple areas of uh, of our system and is it working the way it should be and then what digging deeper as to why is it maybe not working in ways that it should be the athletes who come to you for guidance i mean i think it for the most part people who seek out the guidance of somebody like a sports dietitian like you or somebody who comes to coaching typically they're seeking out that guidance because something isn't going the way they want it to. So like you said, a lot of the issues you work with with your athletes do relate to gut health. 
What are some of the most common gut health issues that you see in your endurance athletes? Um, so the most common issues that I see are going to be nausea, vomiting issues during exercise. Um, I also see a lot of urgency. So having to pull over multiple times on training sessions, um, and knowing I've had athletes say that they've had to memorize the, uh, porta pot like route map for themselves on runs that they've had to do. Um, uh, as well as I would say stomach pain, a lot of uncomfortable bloating and gas, um, whether that is during running or training or outside of the training and uh, in their regular life. And then I think some other areas where I that people might not think uh, gut health is related is uh, chronic low ferritin levels. So um, looking at exploring gut health with athletes that are struggling, uh, with chronic, uh, low ferritin levels is something that I, uh, have worked with a lot lately with people. Very interesting. I actually, I totally want to dive into that specifically, but first I want to address this kind of like you know, there are these weird community jokes and kind of that we all have in the different endurance sports world. And one of the jokes that I never really understood or like understood why it was funny was the porta potty one. Like, oh, you know, you're a runner when you know where all of the public bathrooms are along your route, or you know, you're a runner when you know where all the porta potties are on your long run. And I'm like, wait a minute, that shouldn't be something that you need that shouldn't be normal. Like, why are we normalizing needing multiple frequent bathroom stops on most runs or even on, on many runs that you do? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's really important for people to recognize, like, it's hard to classify what is normal per se, but I would say, you know, maybe one bathroom stop on a run would be normal, but multiple bathroom stops on a run, uh, I wouldn't say that that is normal or should be happening for people um, to the point of where like it's interrupting your training frequently and it's in during races too. I've had people's races completely ruined by having to stop and go to the bathroom or their stomach just completely being wrecked uh, uh, and not being able to resolve the issues. So obviously there's, like you said, there's so many factors and influences that we go into talking about gut health, but what are, if you say like the core things you go to when somebody comes to you with gut issues, what are the very first things that you look at when you are going through their history and what they're doing? Um, so I do ensure like when we are looking at gut issues, I want to make sure that, uh, they have potentially explored medical uh, GI doctors um, in case that there's something serious going on in regards to um, like a GI bleed or something um, uh, like colon related, et cetera. We always want to make sure we're covering all of our bases there from, from that medical side. And then from the nutrition standpoint, I would say one of the biggest things that I look for, um, and it is talked I feel like it's being talked about more and more in the space is under fueling. Um, so not taking, and that could be under fueling during your training and racing, uh, or under fueling, um, just on a daily basis and ensuring that you're able to match your nutrition to your training. And I think that is a really big struggle point for people. Um, a lot of people we chat with are just, you know, they don't have any idea what enough looks like for them. So it's very confusing for people to hear eat enough, but they don't understand what that is. Um, and then the default is, well, I'm just going to, you know, that it's too complicated to think through because I don't know what I'm looking for. So I'm just going to eat the same thing every day. When we know that, you know, long run days or high intensity days, we need more nutrition. Um, and what happens is when you are under fueling or not giving your body enough, um, the gut actually can slow down. Um, so essentially like the body is dimming the lights on certain systems when it doesn't have enough resources. Um, so the functionality of the gut can actually change and 
um, decrease and get out of whack. And then, you know, even during your training and racing too, um, if you're not training with enough nutrition, um, that can affect the functionality during your training and racing and and why it's really important to figure out your fueling plan ahead of time and the concept of train the gut, which we are likely going to cover in a little bit, but, you know, trying to get your body used to the fuel that you need uh, to be able to, to train and race properly. How many times have you worked with endurance athletes who've come to you kind of saying like, I'm experiencing all these issues. And so my default is to just not fuel at all. Like I'm experiencing nausea on a run. So my, like, because I don't want to, I don't want to make it worse. So I'm actually feeling less or like, I don't, I'm only drinking water or like, oh, whenever I drink water, I get nauseous. So I've stopped drinking water on runs. Like how often is the reaction to some of these issues to actually like do less or to eat less or to fuel less or to drink less? I mean, I think it's actually relatively common. Uh, I work with so many athletes that will say, well, I can't even eat, I can't eat carbohydrates. So like I have to do like nut butters and fats and proteins, uh, or I can't use, uh, I can't get in fluids because it gives me a sloshy stomach. Um, but then the, the issue is that this, it's like this negative feedback loop, then that is going to exacerbate your issues. And and I get that a lot too within, um, with ultra endurance athletes that we're working with, um, in like the middle of the race, they might, uh, experience some stomach issues and they're unsure how to troubleshoot that. So they just don't take anything in. And then sometimes that can just make the problem worse and then they can't really rebound. So, um, having the understanding that, uh, when you're experiencing these issues, it's usually the fact that you are, something is out of balance that you're taking, taking or not taking with your fueling plan. So trying to like recalibrate that and figure out what's going to work best, which is why it's really important to, uh, to figure that out, try to figure that out ahead of time. I understand things are going to go wrong during races, but really trying to figure that, that out and troubleshoot ahead of time. Obviously we can't control literally everything. And I think sometimes in, I would just say just like in the space as of who we into endurance athletes tend to be in terms of like being really goal oriented and like what I would say pretty type a, and like, I want to make sure I can control all of these things that like you can't control everything all the time. And sometimes things will go sideways, but like, what would you say is the acceptable of the boundary between like, sometimes things just go sideways. It doesn't necessarily mean anything's wrong. You just kind of had a bad day. And hey, when we're experiencing symptoms like this on this type of frequency, this is bordering on something's not working optimally. Yeah, I think it's a little bit tough because, you know, I, I was chatting with an athlete earlier, actually, that had some stomach issues in a race this summer and had really practiced and thought they dialed in their fueling plan. And it was, it was a lot hotter on race day. And so maybe was attributing the nausea that they were experiencing to the heat, um, which could be uh, the case, but I would wonder though, if you're experiencing nausea or sloshy stomach or, um, cramping gas urgency ever, um, if there's something off with the, with the fueling plan, you know, and, and, and I always liken it to, or explain to my athletes, it's really important to be an adaptable athlete. So are you able to troubleshoot and figure out why you think something happened, um, in a certain situation? And then what would you do differently in the future to correct that? So I had a conversation with this person about, you know, what would you maybe consider doing differently if you run into the situation where you're racing in the heat again and it was hotter than you trained in? And, um, you know, what sorts of things do we need to do to try and make that fueling plan a little bit better? So I wouldn't, I mean, it's hard to say that something's actually normal if you're experiencing nausea, vomiting, uh, uh, any kind of GI symptoms. Um, Yes, sometimes that is going to just occur when you are, especially if you're running like harder or longer, like ultra endurance, because um, your 
your GI system is under a lot of stress when you are doing those sorts of things. Blood, more blood can be diverted away from the gut. Um, and so it can, functionality can naturally go down a little bit, but I think, you know, anticipating that ahead of time and then figuring out your backup plan. I always say like, what are the backups here? If you experience this, what are you gonna do? If you experience this, what are you gonna do? Um, if you can't eat anything, what can you do to get calories from drinking something, you know? So that's usually how I approach it with athletes. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say like, oh, this is normal. You should tolerate it, you know? I want to talk about the microbiome. So this is one of the things, again, I think this is a bit buzzwordy, like, oh, gut, your microbiome. And, um, what is our microbiome? What are we talking about? We talk about talk about gut health and our good gut bacteria and like bad gut bacteria, but what's actually happening when we talk about the gut microbiome? Yeah, so the gut microbiome, it's really fascinating. I think there, it's important to point out that there is a lot that we don't know about our gut microbiome, um, and it's a field of study that's more up and coming. Um, but it's made up of bacteria, viruses, um, these things that live symbiotically in our system, um, and actually do have an influence on things like our immune health, um, our inflammation levels, our neurotransmitters in the brain, our nutrient utilization and production. Um, and we are with our microbiome, we are actually born with uh, a lot of our microbiome, like genetically, uh, it, it's present. So about, they usually say, I think about 60% of the microbiome stays relatively stable. And then the other 40% can change based on environmental factors, exercise, diet, those sorts of things. And so when we look at, um, you know, what's going on in the microbiome, there is uh, room for shifts in the microbiome based on all of the things that I just mentioned. Something that I hear, and it, there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of what we talk about in these episodes is like overcoming objections and like understanding the best practices. Again, talking about the way that we fuel our runs or are fueling around, you know, being an endurance athlete, one of the things that we talk about is understanding, you know, the effective nature of really fast digesting, fast absorbing carbohydrates, basically sugar, like the importance of using sugar for racing and in training and in different ways. But in the bigger world, sugar is a very demonized thing, unfortunately. And I've talked to runners who have said to me, and I'm not a dietitian, obviously, but, you know, said to me, I don't want to use any of those high sugar products because it's bad for my gut health. What would you say to that? Um, I think <laughs> I, I think it's a little bit ridiculous to say that because it, there, it's not directly like uh, I would say sh sugar itself is not negatively impacting your microbiome and you actually need sugars and quick acting sugars to, to be involved in energy production when you're exercising. If we look at these um, more complex carbohydrates or like slower carbohydrates, they can actually take a lot longer to digest. And for some people, they can actually cause more GI distress because the microbiome feeds on some of those more complex carbohydrate sources and produces gas as a byproduct. Um, and then we also need to think about like, what is the ultimate goal when we are fueling our exercise? And, you know, the ultimate goal is to have the energy to be able to continue at the pace that you want to continue at and not run out of it and not hit that wall. Um, and, and when you're using these slower acting carbohydrate sources, sometimes, um, athletes, I've had athletes tell me that they don't feel like they actually have as much energy to do that. Um, or it feels like the products they are using, like a little bit uncomfortable in their gut. Um, so just being, I would say being cautious with the language that you're using around, um, these different products and knowing that actually sugars, um, quick digesting sugars can be a most 
efficient source for energy production. There's a, a, a great, I can't remember where I read this, um, but it's something said basically, you know, the slow carbohydrates, you can think of that as essentially you're storing it in your intestine rather than in your bottle. Like, but do you need, you don't, you don't want to store things in your intestine. Like when you're running or biking or swimming, right? We want to like, we want it to get out of our intestine into our bloodstream as quickly as possible. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, going back to what I was stating, like when we think of a, a, a more complex carbohydrate source, it takes more time to break that down. So that sitting in the system maybe is, you know, that that would go along with what you're talking about because it's going to take longer to break down and then longer to utilize. And then one of my one of my fears with that is, um, you know, you're taking in a certain amount of carbohydrate every hour, but if it's not getting into your system quickly enough, could it be backing up the system and then causing this, you know, imbalance and stomach issues and all of that. I want to ask you more about the gut microbiome and the bacteria and things, because you said, you know, the bacteria, your gut bacteria will feed on certain things. Like how, how does that work? I know we have an, an incredible amount of bacteria and, and uh, other little critters that live in our gastrointestinal system. Like how, and give us like the 101 version, but like, how does that ecosystem work? Like, you know, how does it stay imbalanced? How fast does it turn over? Like, what is the, you know, gut, gut microbes 101? I feel like, well, uh, I'm not a hundred percent like a gut microbiome expert here. I want to be clear on that, but, um, from my understanding and the work that I do with athletes, um, I, a lot of our microbiome feeds on, uh, plant rich foods and our, our carbohydrate, our, our fibers, uh, that we're eating. Um, so a lot of fibers that we consume, our bodies themselves, like aren't, aren't necessarily able to digest them. And the bacteria in the gut can actually help digest the food. So they're helping they're like the soldiers kind of doing the work for you. Um, and and then when they get fed, then they're producing things like um, short chain fatty acids and um, they actually help with like B vitamin production, et cetera. And these things then are being used in the body for like energy metabolism and um, different, you know, neuro- components of the neurotransmitters, et cetera. Um, so, you know, that is kind of how I would explain to explain it to people is um, just feeding on a lot of the plant rich foods that you are feeding yourself. And when I'm working with athletes on maybe they uh, don't have a lot of the uh, bacteria in their gut for some reason, maybe they're taking antibiotics or you know, had something happen where their, their microbiome is, is in kind of a dysbiotic unbalanced state. Uh, we will work on increasing diversity of plant rich foods in the diet to kind of help, uh, feed and, um, proliferate those, uh, those bacteria in the gut to help, uh, build it up again. What about conditions where we're talking about an overgrowth of a certain kind of bacteria that is detrimental to the overall gut function. I know there are kind of various conditions where, like you said, a kind of dysbiosis of your gut microbiome, but that can result in some really actual, like real issues. Yeah, and I we do actually often see this uh, with athletes that um, either have gut motility issues, so they might have like a structural issue in their upper GI system or like a gastric emptying issue of their stomach where it's just like is very slowly uh, digesting food, um, that uh, there, there tends to be this overgrowth that happens and it could be an overgrowth that uh, is classified as SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, or it's just, we see like a little bit of overgrowth, which is still not good. And it might not fully be classified as SIBO. Um, in either case, um, it's typically like we see this imbalance occur because of, like I was saying, motility issues, 
which can be, as we talked about earlier, related to underfueling. I would say that's one of the um, one of the biggest reasons why we see it because we work with a lot of eating disorders, disordered eating, and and athletes with that history tend to have more uh, bacterial overgrowth, um, and then. Um, just people naturally born with, um, with a structural issue, um, people on, um, uh, like chronic PPI usage, which affects the acidity of your stomach can, um, cause the microbiome to get out of whack as well. Um, so then we can experience some of that overgrowth because of that. Um, and then like, uh, antibiotic use, like, uh, chronic antibiotic use or like you use an antibiotic for a long period of time and something, you know, starts to, uh, you start to get overgrowth. Um, symptoms of that then commonly are um, excessive pain, gas, bloating um, after eating. And then that's a lot of um, when we have the runners that have urgency and go to the bathroom a lot during their training. Um, that's a oftentimes one of the bigger causes that we see is this uh, overgrowth situation. And PPI, that's proton um, pump inhibitor, like an antacid, right? Yes, uh, the prescription antacids that people tend to be on for um, reflux or GERD. Do you have runners come to you, runners, endurance athletes? And obviously, of course, we want to make sure, especially with GI stuff, you know, ruling out medical issues, but like, I, I would imagine that if a, if a runner just went to a gastroenterologist for their kind of endurance related issues, the doctor may not understand that and put them on something like an antacid, not understanding that this runner like isn't fueling enough for their runs or, and is experiencing issues that have nothing to do with what they've put, put them on a, a medication for in this situation. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we run into this a lot, um, and I, I, I wish I could say that um, I've seen a change and, and like it's shifting towards like more doctors are actually asking about fueling habits, et cetera, um, daily fueling habits, but uh, unfortunately not. Um, and I've even had athletes that have had these issues and um and doctors just say oh you have runner's diarrhea and then they they might even like tell them oh and also you need to lose weight and like just all of these things that um it's a little bit uh disheartening some of the advice that people are given or like they're thrown on a medication and they're not really given like a timeline or a plan as to like what this is going to be used for and unfortunately, as we just discussed, like something like that could make the situation worse. Um, so I feel like athletes that are struggling and, and you know, again, like I, I think um, exploring with a with a GI doc is is can be an important step in the process. Um, but if they feel like they're not getting the answers that they need, then maybe like exploring the nutrition component could be really important or um, you know, really trying to get a comprehensive um, stool, stool testing done, um, which I've had a lot of success with athletes doing uh, in my practice. Um, and uh, some GI docs are open to doing it as well. Um, but just making sure that um, you get like a comprehensive panel done where, you know, that's the biggest issue I've seen is that it, with the GI docs, like they might order like one or two markers, but then it might not show, some, show something that's going on in the system. Um, so doing a comprehensive um, a stool testing panel can be really helpful to uncover um, some, and do some further exploration, um, overall. And I would imagine that sometimes if you have athletes come to you and they're talking about their GI issues and kind of what's going on with their poop and all of that, and they've said, yeah, but it's been this way for years. I thought this, this was just kind of my thing. Like I thought that this was just how I functioned. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> even though it's, your normal doesn't mean that it's normal. I want to I want to reiterate that um, you've maybe gotten used to it, but again, that doesn't mean that you have to put up with it and that it's normal. Um, I have worked with athletes that have been dealing with urgency during runs uh, for ten years, 
and uh, and then we go and uh, examine their diet, and we look at a um, comprehensive stool panel and uncover things that they were like shocked about, and were like, "Why did I not?" do this sooner, you know, why didn't I, why wasn't I able to take a deeper look at this sooner? And, and again, it's just, it's not to anyone's fault, but like that dietary component does have such a huge impact on the overall, uh, microbiome. And then when we look at, um, when we look at exercise and the effects that it can have on like intestinal lining integrity and the microbiome, like you know, just exploring that a little bit further too for people because um, exercise can can actually degrade um, the the lining integrity, and so that can cause some issues too. I wanted to actually ask about. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you about that because uh, I I think it's important that we bring this up not to freak people out, but to understand you know why we need to be so I want to say just really uh, mindful of when and how we deploy these really long or really high intensity sessions or talking about really, you know, longer races, you know, that kind of stress that we put on our bodies. And I just did a whole episode about post-race recovery and understanding, you know, how much glycogen depletion affects you and the fatigue that it can cause and what you should expect from a post-race, you know, immediate post-race recovery standpoint. But there's a lot that harder, higher intensity, longer sessions do to our bodies explain more about that intestinal lining and like what that means and like why some of it is absolutely normal but why we need to be cautious about you know not making sure that we're in this state all the time yeah no i i think it's just important for athletes to understand that when we we're putting our body is under stress, which includes our gi system and when we exercise at higher intensity or uh, training a lot um, that can actually increase the production of something called zonulin. And zonulin can actually um, kind of degrade or like loosen the, um, the junctions at our intestinal cells. So I don't want to, I, I like to use the term intestinal hyperpermeability can occur. Not, this is kind of referred to as leaky gut, but I don't like using that term. <laughs> um, so normally our intestinal cells are, um, really tight together and um, uh, the junctions between the cells are called our gap junctions um, and they, they're tight together so that bacteria and things can't get into our system that we don't want to get into our like whole body system it keeps bad things out um, whenever we exercise that can increase zonulin which then can loosen those gap junctions and then things that maybe shouldn't be getting out into the system can get out into the system and it can actually this is where um this is where sometimes people start experiencing like more food sensitivities or whatever they want to call it like they might have a they might feel like they react to certain foods or like i had an athlete say that they like can't really drink bubbly water because it like starts increasing the gas and bloating. And so that sort of thing can happen when we are, when that intestinal lining, those gap junctions weaken. Um, and it also can degrade the mucosal lining in the intestine, which, um, which actually helps keep the microbiome more in balance because some of those bacterial species like feed or support that mucosal lining. So it's uh, it's kind of this thing where we just, we want to be mindful that the, we don't need to stress that our microbiome or that our uh, intestinal lining is being affected by our exercise, but we want to just be mindful that supporting the, the intestinal lining could include um, some of the things I was talking about earlier with diversity in your diet. Um, you can actually think about maybe increasing consumption of something, uh, amino acid called glutamine, which helps strengthen that lining. Um, you can eat um, omega-3 rich foods, which help keep that balance of inflammation in the body in check. Um, and those might include things like um, nuts, seeds, um, uh, fatty fish, um, uh, chia, flax, so all of those sorts of things. And then 
are, um, I usually recommend that athletes think about like consuming green tea, dark chocolate, high antioxidant foods. Um, and so just doing your due diligence to maybe um, go the extra step to give your body a little bit extra, your microbiome and your gut lining a little extra support if you're under heavy training stress. And I think, you know, where that can maybe, uh, where athletes can run into trouble with that is they are training more, so they maybe don't want to have as much diversity. They don't want to cook as much, or they don't want to think through the meal planning process and the shopping process. So um, that can be difficult for some athletes to navigate uh, when they're in like that heavy training volume. Um, so hopefully that kind of helps helps explain. I think a logical extension, a question of this topic then is, you know, can we use our kind of gut health and gut symptoms as a barometer for understanding maybe our, our training load or training balance? And I'll, I'll tell you like kind of what I'm conceptualizing this conversation. Let's say we have somebody who's training for uh, a marathon. It's not their first, they've done it before, but they're doing kind of a more aggressive build this time round. And as they're moving through their training, like halfway through their build, they start to experience some GI symptoms, GI distress that is atypical for them, you know, bloating or gas, they're not tolerating some like just kind of general, whatever you want to call it. There's a million ways it could manifest. Could that be a sign to the runner that like, hey, something has become imbalanced or maybe a sign that actually you're not fueling enough to support this increased training load that could be contributing to these issues? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I would say that's actually a common thing that we see with the athletes that we're working with. They either have just completed like a big race and then they start having all these GI issues or they're in the middle of a big training block and then they start experiencing these GI issues that they feel like are out of nowhere. Um, and I, I hate to say like, again, using the under fueling example, but I think it's such a, a really good, um, those symptoms are a really good indicator that you, you, I want to emphasize to explore the underfueling component, make sure that you understand, um, the increase in nutrition that you need, um, when you're doing heavier training volume and then understand like if diversity in the diet is something that you've never looked at, um, uh, maybe that is something that you would consider, um, during that heavier training volume, if you're starting to experience these, uh, GI issues. Sometimes then the hard part is how do we, how does an athlete get out of that? Um, and it kind of depends on like how bad the symptoms are and what they're experiencing. Um, I've had athletes that it's, it's taken months, uh, to kind of resolve. Um, whereas other athletes, they start increasing their nutrition and it resolves pretty quickly. So again, I think it kind of depends on maybe like where someone's coming from, um, how long they, if underfueling is a component, how long they've been experiencing the underfueling, and then it kind of reached that tipping point at the higher volume that they're doing. Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, the, the fueling component here is huge. That's also not to say that there couldn't be something else going on um, that just like randomly cropped up um, due to like I've had athletes that are actually eating like pretty diverse foods, but they get like an E. coli infection from like the food, the farmer's market produce that they um, were eating or something. Um, so other things can happen too. I don't want to just say that it's under fueling, but um, it is such a big uh, component, uh, that we see, uh, in our practice. One of the things I love to do when working with runners is help them understand like how to connect the dots to all the other things in their life and how it relates to what they're experiencing and doing as an endurance athlete. Like it's very rewarding for me to be able to work with an athlete who can then learn to connect the dots on like understanding like 
you know, what influences their ability to sleep really well at night and how they feel when they don't get enough sleep or understanding their actual feeling needs and like connecting the dots on like how they feel and why they feel a certain way and like understanding that it all is connected. And I think sometimes as athletes, like we're so used to kind of putting our training in a silo, like I oh when I I do my warm up and then I go do my session and I come home and then I like start my day. And it's like, well, you don't you don't leave one at the door and like you come back in and all of a sudden like it's it's totally different like everything relates to each other it's all connected because you're the you're the person going through all of it yeah no uh i I think that's awesome that you especially as a coach i think taking a whole athlete approach is uh is really important um and it's also the reason why i feel like you know the automatic reaction typically is somebody experiences gi distress and they go to the GI doc, which again is fine, but like ex- be open to like exploring um, what do my stress levels look like? Because that could actually um, impact my gut health. What does uh, my diet look like? Um, do I have diversity? Am I getting enough nutrition in? Uh, what does my fueling plan look like? Because again, um, that you could be experiencing um, gut health issues from daily nutrition or also singularly race nutrition or race fueling. Um, so being open to looking at all of these different areas of, of yourself as a person and, and understand, um, how they can impact the functioning of different systems and how you're feeling, et cetera, is really important. And then one other one that I thought of is the, is the, um, is the energy piece and like how I was mentioning with chronic low ferritin, sometimes uh, athletes don't consider the impact of their gut health on their iron levels and then that affects their energy and how they're training. So like another great example of how everything can be kind of interconnected here. Actually, I wanted to ask you more about the low ferritin issue as it relates to gut health. As you said, you've been seeing a lot of it recently. And I know that we just saw that big study that came out that looked at kind of iron deficiency mm-hmm. <laughs> and essentially like wondering, you know, if we actually were looking at ferritin levels where they should be, not just like the bare minimum for basic functioning, how many adults in America and especially women would technically be classified as deficient in iron. So talk to me a bit about that, about low ferritin and how it relates to gut health. Yeah. So I think, um, I think with ferritin, it's really important. Like I'm not saying don't go and take an iron supplement if you have, uh, low ferritin levels, but I really like to ask athletes that I'm working with, like, why are you always feeling like you have to take this supplement to keep your ferritin levels appropriate? Um, and I think that that piece is, is going to tie in here because that's the important key. Like, yes, we do have higher iron requirements as runners because of foot strike hemolysis. And then we might have some loss in the GI system, et cetera. When we go to the bathroom, it's et cetera. But, um, I think that understanding the needs aren't that like this huge amount greater for iron intake. So why, um, why are you struggling so much with keeping your ferritin levels up? Um, so I like to explore number one, I always like to consider the GI bleed because I mean, that is, that can be a serious issue. And if you're chronically struggling with ferritin levels, I encourage you to see your GI doc to rule out any kind of GI bleed. Um, but then when we also look at um, the the dysbiosis that we were talking about with the gut microbiome and um, nutrient production, utilization, absorption, um, looking at gut lining integrity um, and looking at um, looking at like just absorption issues, uh, inflammation in the gut, all of these things, if you think about it, can affect absorption and utilization of our micronutrients. So when we look at ferritin levels, we also know that it 
that it's might it might not just be like your iron intake that we need to examine. So we know that magnesium and copper and vitamin A and vitamin C are all related to our ferritin levels too. And so if we have something going on in our gut that is not working properly or the functioning is, is not there, um, then that can affect absorption of all of our micronutrients, which then in turn affects ferritin levels. Um, so there's that piece. And then there's obviously the piece of, um, you know, the consumption, I would say, of all of these different micronutrients that that an athlete is consuming from food. Um, examination of that, because I think, again, the automatic response is to take an iron supplement. But, you know, are you considering that as a runner, you have higher magnesium uh, requirements for yourself because you're losing a lot of magnesium in your sweat too. Um, and for a lot of people getting in appropriate magnesium amounts from food can be really difficult. Um, so looking at that piece and then looking at, you know, do you consume a lot of vitamin C rich foods? Because for some people that falls off because they are just trying to get in nutrition and maybe they decrease down their fruit and vegetable consumption because they feel like that's too much fiber, they get filled up too quickly. So, so you know, maybe you need to, to work on trying to work on that piece. So uh, I think it goes back to like this whole athlete, like critical thinking approach as to why am I always struggling with low ferritin? Can we dig deeper here? Is there something going on with my gut lining integrity or my dysbiosis in my gut, et cetera, that we need to correct? Am I consuming appropriate volume to the amounts I need as a runner of micronutrients. Um, and oftentimes uh, the answer is no from the athletes that I work with. I'm just using my examples here, but you know, when we can estimate that and get a look at it, you know, magnesium is one of the, the, uh, the micronutrients that a lot of athletes that I work with are not even getting half of their needs and iron um also you've got to be able to consume enough i would i'd like for my athletes to consume enough from from their food um vitamin a again vitamin c and then copper is another one that people don't even really they haven't really paid attention to and so just getting a double check on yourself is like how do i look overall from my food consumption of all of these micros because they're interconnected in how uh how iron is utilized, transported, and stored as ferritin. Broadly speaking, when you're reviewing an athlete's blood work, and obviously we're talking about general guidelines here, you know, when you're when you're looking at blood work and specifically ferritin levels, what do you look for as the acceptable range versus, hey, we need to do some work versus, okay, something's really, really, really wrong here. Like, what's that? What do those numbers usually look like? Yeah, I mean... I think always wanting to optimize as a, as a runner is important. Like I usually like for my athletes to be over 40 to 50 for their ferritin levels. Um, and, and that's even going to be individualized. So like if somebody's used to being at a 90 and then they go down to a 60, like they might not feel the greatest there still. So like you need to think about, um, that personalization piece and why it's good to, I really like for my athletes to consider getting iron panels pretty regularly, like at least once a year for some people more than that. Um, and then when it's below that 40 to 50 level, um, then that's where I like to examine, like, why is this? I mean, even just a 30 or something, like, why is it still, why is this low? Is it just slightly low because training volume increased and you weren't keeping up with your iron intake, et cetera, or like, you know, why is this an issue? And then the really serious, I would say, is when I have people with ferritins like below 20 and then chronically, um, I have athletes that are taking iron supplements and they literally are stuck at like a ferritin of five. And I'm like, how are you even functioning? Like, I actually advise oftentimes, I mean, I don't know if other coaches agree with this, but sometimes I advise that you back off on the training some if an athlete has a ferritin below 10, um, because I do, it, 
it is uh, a risk uh, in my mind for them to uh, potentially like pass out on a run or like get dizzy and lightheaded and, you know, um, have issues that could be like a danger to their, their health. Well, some people say that they've adapted to it, but at the same time, I would argue that, you know, that's not, that is not going to be optimal for your, uh, training and performance. Yeah. Uh, adapting to is not the same as like, I've just accepted this as my new reality. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Having dealt with low iron issues in the past, like, no, it's terrible. Don't accept that as being your new normal. Yeah, and I think it's important for athletes, you know, it's it's still shocking to me uh, the number of athletes that come to us that are, they have a ferritin of 10 or 12 and because the reference range uh, still says that they're normal, their doctor just says, oh, you're fine. And I'm just like, I, you know, it's super frustrating to see that um, because the athlete clearly feels like absolute crap when they are, are exercising and even in daily life too. And it's interesting because it's like the, the, the physician is not considering that this person is an athlete and what their needs are. So I think it kind of highlights, like I like for my athletes to think about um, seeing a sports medicine doctor that has worked with endurance athletes because it's just, you know, it's a little bit different than maybe the population that a uh, general family medicine doc is seeing. And so they might be able to look at that blood work and interpretation a little bit differently. The last thing I wanted to ask you about is this concept of nutritional training or essentially training our gut to handle more fluid, more fuel, or like any fluid or any fuel while we're running or even like being able to eat a pre-run snack and not having it cause huge issues on our run like what by what mechanisms does nutritional training work to improve our tolerance and then what are some general guidelines for somebody who wants to embark on some nutritional training to improve their ability to fuel and take in fluids while running yeah, I think the tough part here is that if you're someone that has had GI issues during your runs, um, it can be easy to latch on to, well, I'm anxious that this is going to keep happening to me, so I really, like, I can't fuel beforehand, or I can't push the limits of my fueling during because I'm, I've experienced this before, so I'm going to experience it again, and I think that's there's that fear factor there a little bit. And um, in order to, to kind of push through that and get through that anxiety, sometimes we just have, we do have to um, maybe frame it as I'm going to try an experiment for myself. I want to see if I can try some different things to see if something works better for me than something else. And when we don't feel too, that isn't allowing for the gut to actually um, function or adjust to utilizing fuel in the way we might want it to during exercise. So, you know, if you never actually do it, then it then your gut is not going to function in a way that's going to allow you to do it. So I usually say for the people looking for the beforehand, before exercise fueling, um, if you're somebody that hasn't done a lot of that, then start small. And so if you start small with, you know, say it's uh, one graham cracker or something, but ultimately you want to be at four graham crackers, uh, you know, you start with one and you see how that feels and you use that for like a week. And then the next week you're going to try to increase it to two. And that allows for the gut to start moving and utilizing the fuel in a proper manner. Um, I think it's really important for you to understand too that um, hydration, the hydration component can be huge as well. So if, you know, I'll have athletes that just get up, drink coffee, barely eat anything and then go, and then that's not really going to be great for your GI system either. So making sure that you're, um, you've got to cover all the bases. I like to say when you're dialing in your pre-run and during run fueling. So pre-run, really important to have, uh, 
some carbohydrate, calories, uh, and fluid and electrolyte. So if you get up in the morning and it's super early, just because it's early doesn't mean that you shouldn't consume anything. I have athletes that think about, um, you know, if time factor is an issue, like think about drinking some hydration mix or some like super high carb mix to try and get something in uh, that's both liquid and uh, gonna give you some, some calories and carbohydrates. Uh, and I think that there's always, you know, some kind of workaround here. Um, I think, you know, the, just the blanket, I'm not going to do it because I don't have time or I have had GI distress in the past, um, doesn't usually fly in our world. We're just trying to help people get from, you know, where they're not feeling to like a slowly increasing things that they um, feel like might work for them as an, I frame it as an experiment. I literally, one of my success stories was, um, I had somebody literally do one bite of white rice before they went out, um, to do their run. And they started with that cause they were so scared that they were going to have to go to the bathroom. Totally fine with one bite. So I was like, challenge them to slowly increase. We ended up getting them up to like over a cup of rice cause they just really wanted to use rice beforehand. So I was fine with that. Um, and we were able to get them over a cup of, of cooked white rice before a run. Um, and then we were able to start adding um, some other things as well. So it's just, it, it can take time and patience. And if something happens on your training session, like a GI issue, then A, evaluate, like, did I do hydration, electrolytes? Did I choose the right food? Um, maybe I need to more slowly increase what I'm doing beforehand. Um, so think through all those things, but don't completely shut the door to fueling beforehand. Um, so that's kind of the pre-run. And then during, um, thinking about, um, when we talk about training the gut, there are actual, uh, physical adaptations that occur in the intestines that can increase the number of like glucose sodium transporters in the gut. Uh, with higher use of uh, carbohydrate during exercise. So this is kind of where you can push your limits a little bit with your carbohydrate consumption during exercise. Um, and then also keeping in mind that when we vary our carbohydrate sources, so we have our glucose and fructose, we that can allow for us to take in more carbohydrate because there are two types of transporters in the gut that we're utilizing regularly during exercise. Um, so thinking about um, when you are looking to train yourself, if you're wanting to just increase your nutrition, um, there, I would say there's two categories here. You're looking maybe to increase your nutrition to levels that are like bare minimum. And then you're looking to optimize or like maybe you're trying to push the limits of your carbohydrate consumption during exercise. Um, I would say for both of them, you want to do it in a, a slow manner. We don't need to go from 40 grams of carbs an hour to 90 grams of carbs an hour because that's likely not going to go over well. Um, so you want to do a slow increase, I would say by like 10 grams, 10, maybe 20 grams, uh, an hour at first to just try to push the limits a little bit there. Um, uh, and then kind of push up, uh, on whatever you think is, is going to be optimal for you. And I think I really want to point out that that is important. I think there is a lot of great messaging out there about, wow, like what are the carbohydrate limits of the gut? Um, maybe we should be pushing, like I'll have athletes that are like, I want to push 120 grams of carbs an hour. And I'm like, you know, I'm really glad that you want to fuel more, but we just have to be careful uh, that we're not overdoing it because, you know, some people will not be able to really tolerate well, like 90 grams even. Like for some people, that's not optimal. So you need to, this is where, the process of figuring out what's going to work best for you, your fueling plan and your gut. That's why we suggest that, you know, you're working on this months in advance of a, a big event so that you can kind of optimize things. Um, 
The other thing I want to point out is that hydration electrolyte piece, just because sometimes I feel like this is the piece that is like almost overlooked more than the calorie piece now. Um, and I just have some amazing examples of athletes that I've helped recently that are getting sodium sweat tests done to figure out what their sodium losses are every hour. Um, and it's completely changing the game for nausea, vomiting issues uh, that they're experiencing. Um, so I've had two ends of the uh, spectrum, somebody losing 2000 milligrams of sodium an hour and then 200 milligrams of sodium an hour, which is pretty, you know, very low. Um, and so a lot of athletes are just going off of the standard rec of 250 to five or 600 milligrams of sodium an hour. Um, and if you are somebody that might be on one of those extremes, that could cause huge issues for you over time. And in particular, in my athletes that are ultra endurance athletes, um, I see the biggest biggest issues occurring. Um, so sodium sweat testing can really allow for you to more precisely dial in what your needs are um, that you should be taking in. And so you can try and avoid um, the fluid imbalance, the sloshy stomach, the nausea, vomiting. Um, and then I usually combine that with fluid loss testing. So instead of going just, you know, 16 to 20 ounces an hour as a general, um, I'm having athletes do pre and post workout um, uh, weights on themselves or blind weights. If they, uh, if you don't have a, uh, can't look at the scale, you have somebody help you do this, but do regular fluid loss testing to really dial in what should my fluid targets be every hour, um, ideally based on what I'm losing. And so you can match your sodium losses, or sorry, your sodium replenishment with your fluid replenishment and get a much more dialed fueling plan. Um, so I think this is really exciting, uh, the sweat testing options that are coming out, because it's really been game changing for my athletes that have chronic nausea, vomiting, and, and oftentimes stomach issues too, because sodium can affect utilization of glucose in the, uh, in the intestines. So, uh, just wanted to point that out cause I am really passionate about the sweat testing, fluid loss testing, and really fully dialing in the fueling plan. This is absolutely fascinating. And one of the things, again, I think it goes back to, you know, understanding that maybe what you've become accustomed to is not optimal for your needs. And I talk to so many runners and, you know, even in the depths of summer, we'll be talking about their, you know, 15 mile long runs and they're, and I'm like, oh yeah. So, you know, how many, like, tell me about your, you know, hydration strategy for those, for those long runs. And they're like, oh, I just, you know, I, I bring a handheld. And I make it last. And I'm like, you make 14 ounces of water last for two and a half hours when it's 90 degrees. Okay, let's. Yeah. <laughs> and and how are you feeling? And they're like, well, I got, I'm just, I feel like normal. Like I feel like I've always felt on runs like that. And I'm like, yeah, but how you're feeling isn't the way you're supposed to be feeling. So again, I think that there are a lot of things that we as athletes may have kind of accepted as just like the way things are which are the result of us not understanding what our specific needs really are. Yeah, I love, I absolutely love that you said that because I've had so many athletes that we've worked with too that have said after working together, like, wow, I actually never knew that I could feel this good. And so um, I think uh, just bringing to light some of these issues like with the GI system that are not normal or even like um, to your point, example that you gave when I see athletes doing that and getting by with their fluid consumption, it tends to then cascade to, oh, like it affects their appetite or their energy levels. Like I've had athletes that don't hydrate much during, and then afterwards they're like not consuming fluids and or electrolytes. And then they start doing that and they're like, oh my gosh, my energy is so much better after my long runs. Like I didn't realize that I was so low energy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, so this is the kind of thing, like it's really, really cool to see like the power of nutrition when, um, when athletes are able to, to experience it themselves and, and optimize. Kylie, if somebody is listening to this episode and they're like, okay, yeah, I need help. Obviously, you are a wealth of resource on uh, Instagram, 
but I know you also obviously offer more than that. So tell us how people can find you and work with you. Yeah. So, uh, fly nutrition three on Instagram and then, uh, fly nutrition.org, uh, is our website. Um, and again, we do a lot of work with, um, eating disorders, disordered eating. And then I do a lot of, um, gut, uh, PCR stool testing and interpretation calls and plans. Um, so if anyone is stuck on their GI stuff, uh, feel free to reach out. Very cool. Having, I've had one of those done and it's, it provides a ton of information. I have to say, I probably wouldn't be able to address some of those issues without having had that done. So obviously, you know, not everybody you necessarily need this, but for people for whom this is applicable, it's a really, I mean, gross, but like really interesting thing to have done. Yes. Yes. It's awesome. Uh, you get to poop in a container and send it in the mail. (laughs) And then you get a ton of information back. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Kylie, thank you so much for being here today. This is a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. 